Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Thank you for joining us on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week on Special Edition, we are getting closer and closer to Christmas. And it is that time of year when many take the opportunity to make donations to different organizations. Today, we have with us three organizations who could not only use your donations, but in one instance, could use you. We're going to meet Philip Hawthorne. You're going to hear about horses are helping veterans get through therapy that's helping them have better lives. We're also going to hear from Peggy Ruddy. She's with the Women's Resource Center in Scranton. They have an opportunity for you to give so some children can have a Merry Christmas. And we're going to start off by introducing you to Grace Palmer. She's the Volunteer Recruitment Specialist with American Red Cross. Grace Palmer, nice to meet you. And maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of an overview of how you got to be the volunteer volunteer recruitment for the Red Cross. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so I joined the Red Cross back in 2017, um, actually part-time, uh, working closely with the executive director. Um, I just helped with coordination and basically office management. Um, and I grew to love what I was doing and working closely with the volunteers and their schedules and getting them aligned with what they're they're wanting to do and what they're passionate about. So I, I rolled into uh, this position um, going on three years now as a volunteer recruitment specialist for the northeastern Pennsylvania area. So we cover uh, nine counties, um, which includes Luzerne. Wow, that is a big area. But <laughs> I have to say that I don't think you have a very easy job, Grace. I don't think people are knocking down your door saying, Grace, I'd love to help you out. I'd love to be a volunteer. Am I right? Yes, you're absolutely right, especially during uh, these times that we are facing now. Wow. So what do you do about that? Yeah, so we're obviously where a lot of our stuff is now digital as far as recruitment. Um, so we're just getting the word out like we are today as much as possible. Uh, we're still mission critical. Um, in lieu of COVID and the pandemic, we are still in need of help. We actually run on 90% of our workforce is uh, led by volunteers. So it's very important that uh, we have the people to help fulfill the mission and helping people within the community as well as nationally. Well, and of course, COVID 
part of that, making things oh, yeah. difficult for you? Because, again, how much more interaction can you get than at a blood drive? And when we hear Red Cross, we think of blood drives. And you yeah. have to have volunteers there because just to get somebody to walk from point A to point B can sometimes be a little bit of a deal if they've never given blood before. So how are you handling that from the volunteer aspect? Yeah, so what they're called, um, the volunteers that help at a blood drive, they're called blood donor ambassadors. Um, it speaks for itself. So basically they're the face uh, of the Red Cross when a donor walks into the door or into that space where uh, the donation is going on. So they're just greeting them, getting them um, into the system. Uh, now, because of COVID, it's a little bit different. So they've already kind of went through the questions on their phone, on an app or um, online. So basically, the blood donor ambassador is just getting them acclimated, basically walking them through um, the area, pointing out where they need to be, um, maintaining the safety protocols that we're following uh, based on CDC guidelines. We're also taking temperatures. So there's the two two set of the blood donor ambassadors. So they're welcoming them as well as uh, taking their temperature and asking those questions, COVID-related questions, just making sure uh, that they don't have any symptoms. Um, and then after the donor has uh, donated blood, we want to make sure that they're okay, right? So uh, the volunteers also help and assist with um, providing them with a the snack or a drink. We always have some sort of a sugar <laughs> just to make sure that they're not lightheaded or feeling any type of way after they've donated blood. Yes, they're they're the ones that I always look for because I <laughs> need some, need somebody to get you from point A to point B sometimes yes. when it's yep. when it's when you do things like that. So, have you found that the people that you are still that you still have on hand as ambassadors that they have been more willing to come out and help because I know there have been and there have been an awful lot of blood drives. I just don't know how the uh, response has been. Yeah, so we have been struggling. Uh, a, a lot of the uh, blood donor ambassadors that help are um, typically in the elder age. Uh, so a lot of them had to stand down uh, for obvious reasons. They're maintaining safety for their own reasons, um, you know, to, to remain healthy. So we did lose a lot of volunteers that were willing and able to come out and during this environment that we're dealing with right now. So that's why we're pushing heavier than normal to find uh, volunteers that are comfortable coming out. Um, and like I said, we are following those CDC guidelines, so it's very safe. It's just, you know, it depends on the person and how they're comfortable coming out. Right. And if, if they can, they will. And if they can't, yeah. they will the next time as soon as it's because I don't think you've lost them. I think they're just taking a yeah. little bit of a break right now. The other thing that we hear a lot about with Red Cross are disasters. And it doesn't have to be a disaster as in uh, forest fires or earthquakes or anything. It can be a family, and we've had a lot of these in our area as well, have a fire. And all of a sudden, they are without a place to stay. They may be without things. How are you doing with volunteers, and what do you do with volunteers in those kind of things? Oh, yeah. So um, we're running into pretty much the same issue. We changed it a little bit. Um, some of our responses have gone to a remote piece as well as in person. We're still responding, obviously. Uh, we're still actively uh, needing and looking for volunteers. Um, we are still helping those families that are in need in lieu of COVID. Um, 
and as well as national with everything else going on. But fires within the local communities are still going on and we're still striving to help those families as best as we can. I think a lot of things have also been um, altered again because uh, usually when someone loses a home, the things that they are looking for are things like clothes and items like that. So are you able to work now with other organizations who are facing that same challenge and um, trying to get things for, you know, both parties maybe? Yes, uh, we always work very closely with other organizations within the community, um, and and we also accept uh, donations, uh, monetary donations, so that we can help uh, purchase those sorts of items, like hot meals and blankets for the families that are in need, or emergency shelters as well. And how would someone go about doing that? Because I think a lot of people are used to making donations of clothing and food and different things like Mm -hmm. that. And when they hear that they could give a monetary donation, sometimes they don't know where that should go because they want to make sure it gets to the right place. So in your area, where would that be? Yeah, so they could go to redcross.org forward slash gifts. So that's R-E-D. C-R-O-S-S dot org forward slash gifts. And then they can go ahead and plug in their monetary donation that way. And it helps to provide the necessities during the emergency. And when when you are looking and actively recruiting volunteers, where can they go? Because I think there might be some people who are saying, you know, I, I've always wanted to do something like that. I have the opportunity now with schedules changing and things. So you might have some people who are out there just waiting for the opportunity to get in touch with you. Is Is there a way that they could do that and find out what they could do? Oh, yeah. So they would basically go to the same place. It's redcross.org, except it's forward slash volunteer. The application is online. Um, It takes about five to seven minutes to complete. They just plug in their personal information, um, run through a few questions, uh, create a user ID, and someone within our volunteer services department will be in contact with them uh, to further discuss what their interests are and align them with what what they're looking to do. Where else do you need volunteers, Grace? So, um, everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny question. Um, Yeah, so obviously within the Luzerne County area, um, I'm within the greater Pennsylvania region, so all all throughout Pennsylvania um, and any any state, um, someone can volunteer. The great thing about our application is when they go to uh, redcross.org forward slash volunteer, when uh, a prospective volunteer goes to complete their application, they can search by their residential zip code for opportunities that are available that are near to them. Um, so it's not just helping out a blood drive. They can help in disaster in many types of ways, uh, uh, even as, as we just spoke about earlier, uh, responding to a local fire. Um, the other thing with blood services that we're actively looking for, specifically in the Luzerne County area for Ashley Blood Center, are transportation specialists. Um, and they help to, to uh, deliver life-saving blood. So what they would do is pick up uh, the blood and transport it to where it needs to go. It's very safe. Um, in most cases, you're all by yourself. Um, so maintaining uh, those safety precautions. Yeah, you're not even dealing with the donors in, in that case. You're, nope. you're just dealing with the with the blood supply as it is. And, you yep. know, you did mention that you're involved with how many counties? 
Nine counties. Nine counties. And some of those counties are a little bit, uh, there's a little bit of space between folks. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so how, how, how have you been working in that area? I mean, there, there was good because of COVID, so you didn't have a lot of people together. But at the same time, in your organization, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to get to where you might need people to go. Oh, yeah. So it really depends. Um, we have volunteers everywhere um, in rural areas and more um, uh, city-based areas. So uh, depending on the location of the disaster or the blood drive, uh, we would reach out to those volunteers within those areas. And then we just kind of span out from there if we don't have um, those people that are available at that time in that area. Um, and as far as recruitment, we're reaching everywhere, um, all organizations and churches, we're also, you can find us everywhere online. We're posting our volunteer opportunities on um, websites such as Indeed and Volunteer Match. Oh, okay. Do you also, uh, you must have social media. <laughs> oh, yes. We are We are definitely on social media. We are on Facebook. Uh, we are on Twitter. We are on Instagram and also LinkedIn. Well, that pretty much takes care of everybody. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So before I let you go, is there anything, first of all, that we've left out that you want to make sure our listeners know? Um, thank you for anybody that has already uh, given in to the mission, uh, whether you're volunteering, donating blood, or uh, donating uh, monetary donations to the Red Cross. Um, we're looking forward to bringing on more uh, wonderful people to join our team, uh, whether, like I said, you're donating or you're volunteering. We are welcoming you with open doors, and um, we hope that you have a wonderful holiday. That was one thing I should have asked you. What are the ages as far as being volunteers? Oh, yeah. So in most cases, you could start as young as 13 years old. Oh, um, Prior to COVID, we had a lot of events where a lot of the younger youth got involved. Um, obviously, that's, that's kind of changed a little bit. Um, but as far as like uh, volunteering at a blood drive, for instance, you need to be 18 uh, to take the uh, to screen somebody. So like their temperature and asking those questions, but they could be 16 years old and older to volunteer at a blood drive. That's great. I see. That's I, that's why I wanted to make sure I asked that question. <laughs> and I'm sure that on the other side, there is no limit. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> just just as long as you can get there. That's that's the main thing. Are there things that people can do as volunteers, um, maybe behind the scenes that at this point in time you could use, whether they're in the building answering a phone or uh, anything such as that within the organization itself? Oh, yeah. So actually within volunteer services, uh, we have a few opportunities that are remote. You could do it from home as long as you have access to a computer, uh, phone. Um, there's many ways that you could get involved. We have other departments that um, from time to time they look for uh, volunteers to help. Uh, so they don't have to leave their comfort of their home. Um, on my team as well, like we're doing mailing. So uh, the volunteers are helping with that in the comfort of their home. They don't have to go anywhere. Uh, making those phone calls, connecting with those volunteers, helping with engagement. There's so many different ways that you could get involved without physically going anywhere. That's great. And how do we find out about those? Oh, yeah. So it would be on the same place. So redcross.org backslash volunteer. And then um, some of the opportunities they would state on there, um, you know, would be basically from home. Um, one of them is like a volunteer screener. You're basically interviewing volunteers that come through the application process. 
and getting to know them. It's a quick uh, few minute phone call with them and um, aligning them with uh, what they want to get involved with. Oh, great. So they have an opportunity to select. It's not like you say you have to go here, you have to go here. They nope. can they can put in their preferences. Exactly. Yep. Excellent. Well, Grace, give us it give us all that information one more time. If anybody wants to make a donation, if anybody would like to get involved at some point in time doing something, how do they find you? Okay, so you would go to redcross.org forward slash gift, uh, gift if you would like to donate a monetary donation. Um, you could also go to redcrossblood.org if you're interested in donating blood. And as far as volunteering and getting involved in other ways, you could do redcross.org forward slash volunteer. And of course, if you just go to redcross.org, all of those options will be right there for you so you don't have to remember the backslash. Once again, Grace Palmer, Volunteer Recruitment Specialist with American Red Cross. And if you would like to find out more information, you can visit redcross.org. Now don't go away. Coming up next, Peg Ruddy with the Women's Resource Center in Scranton is going to join us. Peg is going to tell us about the programs available there, and they currently have a program underway. They're looking for gift cards that they can give out so that children can have a Merry Christmas season. We'll meet Peg and hear all about it next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Thank you for joining us. Now we're going to meet Peg Ruddy. She is the Executive Director of the Women's Resource Center in Scranton. And after Peg and I spoke, they announced that the Women's Resource Center had launched a capital campaign with a goal of raising $2.5 million to further programming and ensure sustainability for the future. They were planning the Restoring Hope campaign two years ago, but then COVID came along and that changed everything. So now during this challenging time, they have begun Restoring Hope. I'll tell you more about that after we hear about the other programs and help available at the Women's Resource Center, as well as a way that you can help some children have a happy holiday by donating gift cards. Peg, it's always nice to talk with you. So let's just have you give us a brief overview of the Women's Resource Center. The Women's Resource Center is the um, agency in Lackawanna and Susquehanna counties that provides life-saving services to adults and children who are victims of domestic violence and sexual abuse. Basically, we're here to provide 24-hour crisis intervention. We do counseling. We also have a housing program where we can assist survivors of violence to get out of a harmful relationship. Uh, We also have a civil legal uh, center where we can help uh, survivors in court, uh, as well as a teen dating violence prevention program called Safe Dates. We want, we're out in the schools teaching kids how to have healthy relationships. Let's start with the kids angle of it. You know, we always think of it as, as women, but you're talking teens here if you're in the schools. Yes, we're, we're in seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade. And unfortunately, Paula, at that age, there's certain students that already have attitudes, you know, that are harmful towards 
um, you know, their intimate partners, you know, potential, you know, uh, later dating partners, I should say. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, kids who have already adopted, uh, you know, attitudes that, you know, are really disrespectful. That must be tough, though, when you're dealing with that age group, because you're trying to fit in. You don't want to say anything because then somebody might not like you. Exactly. Oh, there's a lot of peer pressure, and that's part of the program. Uh, We actually are out in the schools for 10 weeks. It's really remarkable, though, how insightful these kids are. You know, we've learned a lot from them, and they're very open. You know, we had one student say, you know, if I see something bad going on and I don't do anything about it, am I part of the problem? Wow. Um, And so, yeah, yeah, that was a ninth grader. So we're really happy that they're very engaging with us and that we're actually able to teach them and help them to educate one another about what healthy relationships look like. Maybe they're hearing things at home. There's definitely, uh, you know, domestic violence is a learned intergenerational problem. And so, you know, there's definitely situations that we come across where there's kids in homes where there are violence. And so what we do then is we have a counselor available, speak with them and help them safety plan outside of the education program. Again, it's relationships and the changing relationships, Peg. Predominantly, uh, Paula, is a gender-based social problem. And the majority of the uh, survivors that we see at the center, which is true across the state, are women. However, as you know, um, society changes and people change, so uh, are providing services to men. We also provide services to, you know, the gay and lesbian community, as well as uh, in, you know, an individual that might be transgendered. So, unfortunately, domestic violence hits all of those populations. Do all of the people contact you the same way? Before COVID, individuals contacted us either through the hotline or maybe if there was a police officer at their home or perhaps if they had to go to the hospital. Now, because of COVID, we have a situation where we are primarily doing our work over the telephone. We have bought tablets and we've had the community members donate tablets to us so that we can actually provide services virtually. And and I always like to point out your website because I think that is probably one of the most innovative things that I have ever heard of. I might be on a website looking up the Women's Resource Center and my batterer comes in the room. I can hit an escape button and that way, you know, that person doesn't see you know, what information I'm researching. What would you suggest that they do if they if they are, and I'm going to say it, in fear? And, you know, Paula, you raise a really good point. Not all domestic and, uh, violence is physical. You know, we often hear from survivors that the emotional abuse and the verbal put-downs are very damaging emotionally. Um, and sometimes that's how it starts. And so we encourage people to call us anytime. We're available 24 hours a day you know, to talk through their options, to, you know, offer them support, you know, and all of our services are free and confidential. And now I guess we need to talk about, well, hopefully happiness and happy holiday seasons. But I would think that in the area that you're dealing with, sometimes that can also work to the reverse. Uh, Yes. You know, there's a lot of expectations as a society that we hold around the holidays. And there's also a lot of times that people have time off. Um, And oftentimes domestic violence is about access, 
you know, um, so that if the survivor and the abuser are home together a lot, you know, that could create a problem as it relates to, to abuse. And so, unfortunately, the holidays are no different, you know, than, than any other day, really, where there's, you know, partners where there's intimate partner violence, you know, that are together in the home, that that, you know, tension can escalate to physical violence. Some people hearing this for the first time may be saying, hmm, that might sound like something that's going on, not necessarily in my world, but someone close to me. So what would be something that before you would even reach out that maybe you should consider doing? Well, the first thing that you should consider doing is, you know, maybe, you know, getting on our website or calling our hotline and getting some information about abuse and how, you know, what, what, does those, what are those dynamics? You know, how is that person, you know, involved in, in that dynamic? And then if it's someone you know, is to be able to reach out and not to be afraid to reach out to them to say, you know, um, I'm a little worried about you and there's help available. That can also cause an escalation. So Right, that would have to certainly be done in confidence. You yeah. know, you wouldn't want to have that conversation um, in any other setting but a private one. And when we're talking again about the holidays and, and sometimes it's uh, a mix of people that are getting together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, you know, uh, it's about, you know, just helping to make sure that the survivor, you know, is safe or can, you know, get away if, if there is an escalation of the violence. And then it's not only the mix of people, but there could be a mix of other outside influences. And that's, we turn to alcohol a lot of times. Well, and a lot of times, Paula, um, there's a belief system that alcohol causes violence, and and that's just not true. Um, You know, if you take away the alcohol, you just have a sober abuser. However, what is true is that alcohol does add fuel to the fire. You know, so if someone has the propensity to be violent in the first place, um, you know, alcohol certainly makes that more dangerous. Do you find that a lot of the the people that you talk to spend most of their time trying to put on and keep up an upbeat persona? Both domestic violence and sexual abuse are, are crimes that are often hidden and that people are embarrassed to talk about and want to you know, have the world think that everything's good. In our COVID world that we're in now, a lot of times people are spending more time at home. But do you find that you're hearing from people that maybe that's causing some of the frustration and some of the escalation? Uh, yeah, yes, definitely. And, you know, the economic um, strain certainly adds more fuel to that fire. Um, one of the reasons that, primary reasons that survivors don't leave uh, the home is economics. And so if you add in the economic strain that has been happening over the last eight or nine months, you know, it certainly can escalate the problem. I had a uh, conversation not too long ago with Amy Everett's and sure. she's awesome. Well, everybody, everybody at the Women's Resource Center is, is wonderful, but she was giving us a little bit of insight into something that um, I get a lot of questions about when I talk to folks from your organization and other organizations. And that is why people just don't leave. Well, number one reason, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is money, economics. You know, where are they going to live? Um, apartments or in affordable housing is very difficult to come by. Oftentimes, they have the hope that the abuser will change. There's fear. You know, what, 
what's that person going to do if I do leave? They threaten to take the kids or they threaten to harm me more. You know, so there's some very significant legitimate reasons why people just don't leave. And then there's also the follow-up question of when there is abuse, wouldn't that be enough sometimes? Oh, absolutely. And to give you an example, in our housing program, we're able to provide financial support to assist someone with getting an apartment and helping them through a couple of months of rent. And 85% of the survivors that go through our housing program go on to live a life free from violence. We're very, very proud of that. We haven't gotten any of your information as far as contact is concerned. Could you share that with us? Sure. The best way to get a hold of us is through our crisis hotline, and that number is 570-346-4671. We also have a website, wrcnepa.org. What I would like to mention to the listeners out there is because of our COVID world, it's been particularly challenging with us trying to assist survivors with um, holiday gifts. And so what we're doing is we just initiated a uh, gift card drive so that we want to support local businesses to get gift cards. And then we can do safe exchange with survivors that we can get them the gift cards and then they can go and get, you know, a couple of gifts for their kids. So how do we get involved in that? Call our business line. And you mentioned Amy before, and mm-hmm. she's running the drive. The business line is 570-346-4460. You can also just mail them to us at Post Office Box 975, Scranton, 18501. Or, you know, we can make arrangements to, to pick them up. We, you know, like the community to know that we're really looking for some support this year. And do you have a cutoff date? I think December 20th would be great because that would give, you know, um, several days for families to do some shopping. Uh, We have a Facebook page. If you look up Women's Resource Center, uh, Northeastern Pennsylvania, there's also an opportunity on there to um, make a donation towards the gift card. Thanks again for joining us to Peg Ruddy, the executive director of the Women's Resource Center. And as I mentioned, they have started a capital campaign, the goal of raising $2.5 million. The Restoring Hope campaign is now getting underway after it was interrupted by the arrival of COVID-19. Co-chairing the event, David Hawk and Ann Hawk. And if you would like to find out more about giving to the Capital Campaign, or if you would like to make a donation to their gift card Christmas program, you can log on to wrcnepa.org. They also are on social media and would love to hear from you. Coming up next on Special Edition, Philip Hawthorne. He's a board member, Equines for Freedom. Who are Equines for Freedom? They're horses. They help veterans, and they can help you too. Don't go away. We have the details. Next on Special Edition, dealing with any traumatic event can be difficult, especially for those veterans and those first responders. We're going to find out now by introducing you to Philip Hawthorne about a program that can help and involves horses. Philip, let's start by having you explain just who are Equines for Freedom. Well, Equines for Freedom is an equine-assisted therapy for PTSD. Uh, it's EMDR. And what that does is uh, we take the veterans and first responders 
and let them use horses uh, to help as a grounding mechanism through the uh, therapy process when they're in the arenas with the horses. Now, there's no riding involved, but it is a uh, horse or equine assisted to help them have a grounded uh, in the present moment type with the horse. And how would they so do that? They would actually use a horse um, to maybe lead it around the arena with a halter to brush it and clean it uh, during the therapy process. And that gives them a grounding mechanism to know that they're in the moment, that they're in the present and not in the past whenever uh, the veterans and first responders are going through these traumatic uh, images in their brains, uh, in their minds, and the uh, stories that they have to share with the therapist during that process. Can you give us some examples of, you mentioned veterans and first responders, who would have the opportunity to take part in such a program? Well, any uh, veteran, uh, essentially, uh, from the military and first responders such as police officers, firemen, EMT, even 911 operators when they deal with traumatic calls. And where are the horses? We are... um, up at Eccles Farm, and we're near Marley's Missions. Now, we actually share the horses with Marley's Missions, and um, we have our own arena that we do the work in with the veterans and the first responders ourselves. So they're they're not seen or even um, noticed, basically, whenever they go up for these sessions because they're in their own arena, their own their own area away from everyone else. Are they actually there with a therapist or are they there to feed the animals, to groom them, and then talk about it later on? How does it work? So the therapist is there with them at the time of the therapy session. So therapy session, I could tell you this from experience because I not only am I a board member, but I was a client before I was a board member. So uh, the process starts with answering some questions from the therapist relating to what traumatic events you want to work through. Now there could be three traumatic events or there could be 33 traumatic events. And it doesn't matter if the veteran or first responder uh, has a traumatic event that is related to uh, an incident. But if they're there for an incident related traumatic event, they can share any traumatic event that may have happened to them. Uh, in their lifetime, essentially like my case, and I'll just give this to you briefly, my twin brother, who was my confidant for many years, uh, was in the Gulf War as well as I was. And when he passed away, it really sent me for a loop. I, I was in a dark place for a very long time. And I was able to work through that with my therapist, along with the PTSD that I was carrying around with me from my my wartime service and my uh, service as a, as a fire police. Well, again, thank you for your service, Philip, and uh, condolences on your brother. So what Correct. brought you to, what brought you to find out about Equines for Freedom? Well, I was in a traditional uh, avenue of PTSD therapy through the VA for many years and through the uh, Scranton Vet Center, which both are good organizations and both have helped me quite a bit. However, there's still something there that needed to have attention to, and it ju- I just couldn't get it, and it was still bothered me for a long time. Um, and one of those things was the death of my brother. So I was at a, <clears throat> I was at a graduation party several years ago, about three years ago now, and one of the therapists was there, and uh, 
came over and started to talk to me because I was kind of sitting by myself and my wife was there and she was talking to them and it said, Hey, can you go talk to my husband? Maybe you can help him. So she did. And that's how I got started with him. Cause I didn't realize that there was something like this out there until uh, I hadn't met the therapist at this graduation party. So I scheduled an appointment, not with her because now that I've already had a, a personal connection with her, I couldn't see her. So I had to see another therapist, Anne, and uh, Anne is the one that helped me greatly. No, they all did, basically, uh, but Anne was, was the one I went and spoke to. So how did they work the horses in to the therapy? Well, <clears throat> the first thing you do is you have to choose a horse. So they take you up to the barn, uh, and you do a one-on-one session with the horses. You walk down through the stalls, and you have the opportunity to pick large horses or very small horses. Uh, big horses, round horses, it doesn't matter. You know, they're all there. They all look nice. And, and the reason why I picked the horse I have, uh, and I named it Bucko, these, these horses have no name to you when you go in, so there's no personal connections with the horse other than the one you make. I walked through, and as I was walking through the horses, a lot of them would put their nose out, want to be petted. A lot of them, you know, shot away and stayed back in the corner. But one horse, as I walked by, just looked at me with her eyes. As I walked through, she followed me with her eyes and was very skeptical of me. And that's kind of how I am with people or have been with people in the past. And so I said, that's, that's my horse. I said, that one right there is the one that I need to choose because her and I can work well together. Uh, so we did, and we started um, the therapy, and they brought the horse down into the arena. The arena, the arena is maybe 200 yards from the, the main barn itself where Marley's Missions is. And so they bring the horse down with the um, – they have a horse specialist there, an equine specialist that is present during the session. So they help you uh, to lead the horse, to groom the horse, to feed the horse, whatever it may be. They're there. I mean, they want you to clean the, the muck out of the, uh-huh. out of the hooves and everything if you want. And they're there to show you how to do it. So they want you to develop that personal connection. It's very interesting. I was going to say, did you have any trepidation at all when it comes to horses or you know especially when you're talking about the the size of the horses because somebody who may not have had any experience around a horse that might be a little bit stressful in itself well it wasn't because the horses they range in many different sizes and they range in many different personalities just like we do and they even have miniature horses for people who may be a little more timid with you know around horses so they have a couple miniature horses as well as the horse that I have is was more of an Amish workhorse. So it's not a very large horse, not a very small horse, but one that was very compact and and just about my same height. And so, did, you, did you find out that the two of you were similar? Yeah, I did in, in many ways because uh, the horses will <clears throat> sense your fear, sense your emotion, sense your your, uh, you know, your trepidations, uh, horses are a pack animal and therefore they're, you know, they are prey to predators in the natural environments. So they use, uh, their senses in order to tell what's going on around them. And, and it's quite odd because whenever my heartbeat would get heightened during the session, the horse would come over and nudge me or put her nose under my arms so that I would pet her. 
you know, it's really interesting how that works because they can sense a lot of things about me uh, or the clients whenever they're going through the process. That's really amazing, especially with an animal that you don't see on a regular basis, because I'm guessing right. therapy is might be once a week or once every two weeks. Once a week is the therapy schedule, and you go as long as you have to in order to get through all of those uh, all of those traumatic events. So, like I said, if it was three, it could be a month. If you're there for 33 sessions, you could be there six, eight months or more. Now, there is a graduation class, so to speak, that we have that um, after you complete the program, they have a Saturday class once a month that all the all of those who graduate can attend and they'll bring a few horses out and you can sit there for an hour and the, and the therapist will be there. The equine specialist will be there and you can still go through any, anything that you might want to talk about or kind of like a little refresher course, so to speak, or to see if there's anything that needs to be worked through at that point. So but now you're there with a the group. Philip, it might be a little bit personal, but I'm just, I'm just kind of curious now that you have graduated and you've gone through the sessions and you've had your opportunity to work with Bucko, how, mm-hmm. when you, when you think back on that graduation party, can you see the strides that you have made? I can. Now, first of all, there's no graduation party. No, I meant, I meant <laughs> I the one that you were at with your wife. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Who started yes. this whole thing. <laughs> that started this whole thing. Yes. It sure did. Um, yeah, so there's many things that my family have seen in me. The way I deal with people now, I'm not as reserved as I used to be, although I'm still leery, but I'm not reserved. I don't hang back in a crowd like I used to or fall asleep in my chair when there's a family gathering going on or uh, I celebrate Christmas again because my I buried my brother on Christmas Eve in 2008. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't celebrate Christmas for many, many years up until two years ago after I had gone through this program that I started to put lights out again uh, outside and really enjoying the family parties and stuff that we have because before that I wouldn't, I just uh, would stay, stay by myself most of the time and, you know, just want to be not even talked to or talk to anybody. So how does someone get involved in this? Do they have to have a a therapist to begin with or um, because not, not everyone has someone like your wife who's going to actually go over and say to somebody, Hey, I, think my husband needs some help over here. So if someone was listening and they would like to find out more or get involved, how would they go about doing that? The email is EFF at equinesforfreedom.org. All one word, EFF at equinesforfreedom.org or the website is equinesforfreedom.org. Now there is a phone number that they can call and it will be answered by one of there's two or three people that could potentially answer this call and it's 570-665-2483 570-665-2483 now everything is confidential but it's it's very confidential so if there is a police department or a fire department locally or a veteran wants to seek treatment there's no insurance companies. There is no, 
reporting to anybody that goes on because it is free and confidential to the client. Well, that was going to be my next question because insurance, of course, is going to be the first thing that people are going to ask for. How am I going to pay for this? So how does that work? Well, we are totally funded by donations and grants. So we have uh, people on our board that specifically write grants and uh, seek grant money. And we also have a large number of contributors that donate uh, quite a bit. Now, my mother-in-law is one of them. After what I had gone through and they've seen the change, my mother-in-law actually has uh, donated money into the program uh, because she really appreciates what we've done. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we also have um, Eagles Cleaners, for example, is one of our uh, benefactors and they raise money every Veterans Day. They they take 100% of their profits and they give 25% off to veterans during Veterans Day. And they will donate 100% of those profits to uh, Equines for Freedom. And this year, they raised $3,000 and donated it to our organization. Wow. Now, that's and this is is all local. Eagle Cleaners is local. Yes. That's uh, Buddy and Kathy Croft. They own Eagles Cleaners. And Buddy is a veteran himself. And uh, he's on our board, which is great. He's a great asset to have on the board. And he will take every year uh, for the last three years, 100% of the profits on Veterans Day. And that three-year total to date is $12,500 that they've donated. Now, what if someone else who's listening says, I'd like to get involved and do something like that? Can they get the same information through the website and the email address? Absolutely. I would call that number directly, the uh, the 570-665-2483, and they can... um, set up a a time to meet with us or to meet a board member and to uh, discuss if they would like to make a contribution. You know, and as you know, right now that's, that's key because this year has been very tough on us. Uh, We had to cancel quite a few of our main fundraisers and uh, we, we only got one really good fundraiser in for the year. And that was a gun raffle that we did. You know, we could, uh, really appreciate that someone was to give to our organization. Well, especially at holiday time when um, take the cue from your mother-in-law that, uh, you know, if somebody that they, somebody they might know is in need, they can go ahead and make a donation just in time for the holidays. How have you been able to continue your work during the pandemic? Well, we've actually done okay with as far as the number of clients that we've been treating. Um, we did have a glitch early on. Uh, there were some horses that were quarantined, so we couldn't use horses for a few months, but that was unrelated to any kind of COVID. Uh, but the COVID shutdown hurt us in the beginning initially, like it did hurt everyone else. We're able to consistently treat 17 to 20 clients at a time each month through this through the shutdown. Uh, the numbers, the current numbers we had um, in October, one counselor had 13 clients and the other one had 19. So those are pretty good numbers and that's climbing. It's actually getting the amount of uh, clients are now coming in. So we actually have five new clients that just started as well. That's great. So, 
It is great. It's it's, it's very great that good. they're getting the help, but it's it's also unfortunate that they have to go and get the help. But again, it's fortunate because you're there. Somebody might be very hesitant to go to counseling. Somebody might be very hesitant to talk to a therapist, but who's not hesitant to cuddle up to an animal? It took me 27 years uh, to, to find this help, to get the help that I really needed. Well, I've, so. I've, I've seen the work that therapy dogs can do. Mm-hmm. Therapy horses, again, it's just it's just another avenue. And every time I talk with you, Philip, I always get great chills because I think of the wonderful work that you're doing and what a spokesperson you are to be able to tell your own story and let people understand that things can happen to anyone. That's true. So give us the That's information true. one more time. Uh, our phone number is 570 Five two four eight three, and again we're confidential and free, and, and it does work, and I can attest to that. The email is eff at eclinesforfreedom dot org, and the website is eclinesforfreedom all one word dot org. The phone number again is five seven zero six six five two four eight three. I'm Paula Dagnan, and I'd like to take this time to wish you and yours a very merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.